Well, Monty, David, uh, Monty, Dave, and I just said to one another, as quiet as the sanctuary was just before Nora's prelude, I said, "Oh, it's that quiet that happens once a year on the change to daylight savings time in the spring." And we're all sitting there going, where am I? What time is it? What's going on? And then Nora went. <laughs> so we needed that this morning. Thank you, Nora. Um, nothing like a few pipe organs with a lot of air blowing through it to get us awake. And I hope and pray that you are awake this morning. As we began first worship this morning, it was still foggy. The sun was trying to burn through. And I said then, I hope and pray that our worship together this morning will be as clarifying as the sun is to fog, as it burns away the cloudiness of life, whatever cares and toils you have borne or are bringing in with you this day, remember this, God's love is touching you in this place, in this moment, and he is making all things new. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks and praise this day. You love us, and that's amazing. And we thank you that because you love us, we are made able to love others. And Lord, yes, even ourselves. So in this moment, renew us, Father, as we worship you. And make us even more determined to see that each and every moment of our lives is worship of you. We love you and we give you all glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing this morning, Are You Washed in the Blood?
Yes, sir. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And now we are going to sing, Great Are You, Lord. And uh, as we were thinking about this this morning as we we're practicing, I just um, was even thinking and shared at the first service, um, even something as simple as having breath in our lungs is something God has given to us, the ability to breathe on this earth. But um, even more so, uh, it says in Scripture that he breathed into us the breath of life and uh, life eternal. And so let us sing, Great Are You, Lord. He is a wonderful uh, God that we praise. Your praise, the hearts will cry, these bones will 
of this moment let us affirm what we believe using those ancient words of the Apostles Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ his only Son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. seated and I think we're just going to do a little change up here because I know one of our young kids probably wants to hear his mom sing. So uh, uh, Lauren's going to bring us a beautiful piece of music now and let us continue to worship God and then at the end of that as we go into a time of prayer, kiddos, kindergarten through fifth grade, you can head on out to Children's Church.
Amen, indeed. Thank you, Lauren. 
Has it been one of those weeks where you wonder if hope remains? It's that song so beautifully reminds us that in Christ hope is always present. And it springs eternal, it is like living water. With all the hope of these young lives that are going out, even with the passing years, God speaks to us his truth. And that truth is that we can be in communion with him at all times, at any place. So let's bow before the Lord in prayer now. And we thank you for this privilege, Lord. We thank you that in this very moment, you are seated on your great throne of mercy. The throne that is above every throne. Satan tried to crawl into that seat. We try to put ourselves in your place. But Lord, you are sovereign and we praise you for that. We thank you that you rule eternally in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you bring newness to each day. Father, that in ways so remarkable that we miss them many times, you wash our feet as surely as that woman washed your feet when you sat at table. When no one else had cared to care for this rabbi, she did. And she washed the feet of God. Lord, we pray that this week you would renew us in the forgiveness of our sins. They are many. We love them too much. We cling to them too tenaciously. Set us free. Soften our hearts that we might desire to take the cleansing that you have put into our lives and pour it out into the world around us in ways great or small. It, it finally, Lord, doesn't matter because it's not about what we have done or that we have done it, but that it is a kingdom act and it has been given freely in service to others. Let us be such servants. We love you, Lord God. We ask that you would be mindful to us, but more importantly, we intercede for those around us who we know. And those we don't know, Lord, um, many times we find ourselves praying for folks we have no idea who they are, maybe somebody on the other side of the planet. So near and far, hear us as we name these we are praying for. Robin. Doug, Lord God, we pray for your church that, that we would remember that we don't need to be raised up. We are raised up. You have already put us in a most powerful place, which is literally to be the place of subservience to the world serving this world because we are already elevated to the kingdom of God. And Lord, unite your church as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
Amen. We turn our attention now to God's holy word, and either in your Bible or in the bulletin, we've printed there the translation, the English Standard Version uh, translation. But as we turn to God's word, I just want to point out what you have already uh, realized, and that is that over these Sundays during the season of Lent, uh, Brian and I have been preaching the events that we know happened between Saturday and the following Sunday, um, about over a period of eight days, um, really Saturday to, to the following Sunday. Uh, what we call Holy Week, the week we're moving towards um, as we will begin it on Palm Sunday, March 28th, and go to Easter Sunday the 4th. And, and I am so excited that unlike last year, this year we're going to have many of the rhythms of our usual Holy Week um, that we will be able to share from the joy of Palm Sunday uh, to the quiet hush of Monday Thursday, either here in the sanctuary or out at the drive-in service to sunrise service. Um, and we will be at the foot of the cross. We're hoping and praying that we will be at the foot of the new cross up in the memorial garden. But either way, we will gather up there at 7 on Easter Sunday. And so we have been walking through these uh, um, events uh, uh, from when Brian preached the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem and continuing on to these events. And today we, we come to the upper room. A text we know uh, encompasses a number of chapters in John's Gospel. Uh, today we're reading the 13th uh, chapter and then also just a bit from the Gospel of Matthew uh, there as Jesus uh, describes the meal, the Last Supper that then has become what we celebrate at this table, the Lord's Supper. This is the Word of God. May our hearts be stilled to hear it. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Well, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for Jesus knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And in Matthew 26, same meal, same upper room. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. You may or may not have heard of her or even... Uh, heard one of her stand-up comic acts, but Jen Fulweiler is a stand-up comedian. She is also a best-selling author of several books now, but her greatest accomplishment in life is that she is happily married to her husband after a good number of years and that they are the parents of six children. God love them. Her first book, Something Other Than God, is a memoir about becoming a Christian after a lifetime spent as an avowed atheist. Back in 2009, uh, Fulweiler shared a story that comes from her college years. She and a group of her atheist friends uh, were getting ready to go out to a party uh, and a night of partying uh, when the phone rang. It was a telemarketer calling. And Fulweiler has always been a bit of a a jokester, and so she decided she was going to have a little fun with this telemarketer. And so she put him on speakerphone for all of her uh, roommates there to hear, all of her friends. And um, he was a telemarketer of carpet cleaning services, which of course is a great need of college students. So Fulweiler decided that she would have this fun by doing everything she could to get the telemarketer to hang up first. You know, we usually hang up on them first. And, and in her best East Texas accent, she said, and I can't approximate it, so I'm just going to use my North Carolina accent. And she said to him, I don't believe in cleaning carpets. And he, he stopped. He said, excuse me? She said, sir, that kind of thing is against my religion. She was doing everything she could to sound like a religious zealot, like the kind she had seen all over campus. A bit hesitatingly, the the telemarketer said, well, I've never heard of that. What is your religion, if you don't mind me asking? I'm a Christian. Of course, she came back trying to get as many syllables into the first part of the word Christian as she could, the way she had heard all the religious girls on campus say it. Oh, oh, okay. Well, the telemarketer then said, so where do you go to church? Now, this took 
full wire, completely off guard. She hadn't expected the conversation to even go this far. And so she really didn't have an answer there um, because she'd never been in a church. And she stumbled for a moment and she finally said, the, the, the church of the Bible. And, and the telemarketer excited said, oh, do you mean Covenant Bible Fellowship with Pastor Mike? And she went, oh, yeah, yeah, Pastor Mike, isn't he a darling? She was trying to get back to the hilarity of her planned lecture about the evils of carpet cleaning that would get the telemarketer off the phone. But the telemarketer's enthusiasm for the conversation had her off balance. How long have you been a Christian, ma'am? He asked, and then coming right along, he said, I apologize for the personal question, but it's just a topic near and dear to my heart. And Fulwiler kept up her charade, listening as the telemarketer blessed her for her faith in Jesus. And, and he said, I, I've got to tell you, the Lord is just. And he paused. And she said it was obvious that he was choking up. He said, the Lord has just done so much for me. I was away from him for so many years, and I accepted them into my heart two years ago, and my life has just been taking places that I never imagined it could go. And then he detailed, and I won't go through the details, but he then detailed a life that truly was in ruins. It was horrible, a horrible existence this telemarketer had been living, and, and then it had been turned around by Christ and he asked this young atheist, I'm just so grateful to Jesus. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Fulweiler was stymied at this point in the conversation because she realized that this telemarketer had no idea that he was on the phone with an avowed militant out on campus working against Jesus, militant atheist, and her atheist friends were listening in by speakerphone. And, and he said to her, he said, I'm sorry. It's just so good to meet people like you, to come across fellow Christians when you least expect it. Well, Fulwater said she wanted to crawl under her bed. The man said to just forget about what he had called, what he was selling, and he closed with, God bless you, ma'am. And Fulwiler, forgetting the accent, said, and God bless you too. Fulwiler said that before she left out of the dorm room with her friends that night, that she thought about that man again, and she wrote this, I thought of the warmth and love that had exuded from his voice, how he seemed to possess a level of hope and joy that somehow seemed both childlike and wise. It was something that I did not see very often, but every time I did, I always had a deep sense of wanting to experience more of it. I thought of how he'd reached out to me as if I were a long-lost sister, how he'd assumed that I too had experienced something so sacred and so profound that it left you changed forever, feeling so overjoyed but that you couldn't help but share your elation with the world even on a telemarketing call. Do you know what I mean, he had asked after telling me of how this God of his had taken a shattered mess of a life and restored it to something beautiful and whole? And as I closed my dorm room door, for a brief moment, I wished more than anything that I did.
God uses all things to open our minds to know him. Even a telemarketer selling carpet cleaning services. God will humble our hearts so that he can enter in. Now it took quite a number of years more but Fulwiler finally realized that Jesus had been knocking on her door and she opened up to him and she now lives in the abundant life that he comes to give all people. Has God humbled you to know him? Or do you, or maybe someone you know, think that you don't need to know, that you don't need to be humbled before the Lord? God humbled himself so that he could show to us what true humility looks like, to show us how we can forget self as we serve others, forget self so that we want to serve others, and find the joy of abasing ourselves for the glory of God. Christ humbled himself to reveal to us that success in life is not measured by the achievements that we have, but it is measured by the standard of Christ's humility. This is what we've read today. And this is what this text especially tells us that our Lord and Savior knew. Three times, perhaps four times in this text, we are told Jesus knew or knowing this. And so we need to pay attention when a relatively short portion of the Bible brings out a word like that. We need to pay attention to what Jesus knew. He knew the moment. He knew his master. He knew the manner of the movement. He knew the manner of the movement of the world's hate and Judas, and he knew the manner of his father's service through his using his son on the cross. And we, we must know the moment. Jesus knew the moment. He knew the moment in this point of the narrative, but he always knew the moment. He knew the moment when he stepped in to creation. But he knew the moment here was this, that the time had come for him to return to his father. That the time to be with his disciples, who he'd grown to love deeply, was coming to an end. They were even now sharing the last, the final meal that Jesus would share with them before his crucifixion. The meal we know is the Last Supper that we celebrated last Sunday is the Lord's Supper. Jesus knew that Judas had already set into motion his betrayal. And Jesus wondered in this moment how, in this significant moment, he could get across to his disciples in a way that they would never, ever forget what life together in his kingdom is all about. This moment mattered for Jesus. And the question comes to us, do we understand the moment? Do we watch as Jesus watched? Do we steward our time as carefully as he steward his? Jesus knew that he had just one more moment. Do we live our lives right now as if this is it? This is the last moment. Don't miss it. 
Jesus knew the moment. He also knew the master. And we, we must know the master. And you go, well, we know the master, of course. Well, do we act as if we know the master? Jesus was headed for the cross. Are we headed for the cross Christ has asked us to bear in this day? Jesus was headed to the cross. His life seemed over. But he knew, he knew that his father had given him all things. He knew that he had come from the father and that he was headed to the father. He knew that God was in charge. And Jesus knew his master. And he knew how to reveal his father in this world. It is the way of service, of giving for others' sake, of not seeking to be served, rather to be the servant. You know what, what we, I think... There's no doubt about it. Even, even atheists probably have to acknowledge that Jesus is the most famous, the best-known person who's ever walked the face of the earth. Even folks who don't believe in him use his name, not in ways that we really appreciate, but they use his name pretty often. But Jesus did not step out of heaven in order to be famous. He didn't step down here to walk a red carpet. Jesus came to reveal the Father's love and to show how it is expressed, first to us and then through us to others. And what we are supposed to do in our lives is to follow the Master's way. Now Peter, among many things that Peter had difficulties with, Peter had difficulty knowing who the Master was. In fact, he said to the Master, no, no, no. You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus just kept pointing Peter to God. And Peter, praise God, eventually got it. Jesus just kept pushing his disciples past the misconceptions of Messiah. And, and, and if you missed Brian's sermon of a couple of weeks ago, he did a masterful job of reminding us of who Messiah is. And the misunderstandings that were all about him, they're misunderstandings I often preach about because we still have them to this day. Jesus just kept pointing his disciples and he points us to get past our misconceptions of Messiah and to see the master for who he is, a servant who comes to us to serve us. That's our God. You know, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now, when did you usually wash the feet? You usually washed the feet so that you were clean from the dust of the road to come into the dining room. But Jesus didn't wash his disciples' feet so that they could come into the dining room. When he washed their feet, they were already in the dining room. They were already seated at table, and so he washed their feet, not to cleanse them for that upper room. He washed their feet so that they could understand who the master is and how he prepares us for upper room living, which is what we're supposed to do down here because we have already been ushered in to the upper room, heaven, and have its perspective, we are supposed to live that way down here. And upper room living can be described by one verb, a participle, serving. 
by giving one's life for the sake of others. The upper room describes the cost of following Jesus, of true humanity. What's it mean to be human? It means to bow down before others and to serve them because that's what reveals the kingdom of God. Jesus knew who was in control. He knew his master. And the question becomes, do we know our master and who's in control? Or as that horrible bumper sticker from way back used to say, is God still our co-pilot instead of the one driving our lives? Jesus knew the moment, he knew the master, but he also knew the manner by which he was to move as he faced the crises and the joys of life. And the manner, if we want to know the manner of movement that we're to have in the kingdom, then we need to see that the manner of movement as Jesus followed it is best described by the way of the basin and towel. The name above all names knelt down to wash dirty, stinky feet. Of course, Judas observed this moment of movement, this manner of movement in this moment in the upper room. And in that moment, I can't help but be convinced, the Bible doesn't tell us this exactly, but I can't help but be convinced that as Jesus took off his outer garment, knelt down and started washing the disciples' feet, that Judas inside his head said, I made the right deal. The 30 pieces of silver, yep, did the right thing. Because there is absolutely no way that this rabbi kneeling before us could be the Lord's anointed because the Lord's anointed, his Messiah, would never wash feet. He came to be the head of armies. He came to overturn governments. He came to upset the whole world physically, temporally. And Judas missed that it's a kingdom movement. He missed that the Bible, the law, the prophets, all of God's self-revelation shows clearly the manner of Messiah. Our sovereign Lord stoops down to serve his children. He bore our griefs and sorrows as Isaiah prophesied so many centuries before. Jesus revealed to the world to be truly human means we serve others for God's glory. There's no other definition that works for being truly human. It's why God made Adam and Eve. It's why he's made us and why he's given us new life. Where have you chosen to do for others rather than for self? Because you see, as we humble ourselves for the sake of others, following the manner of Christ's movement, in, in that whole movement, we reveal what life together in God's kingdom looks like. Jesus knew the moment, he knew the master, he knew the manner by which he was to move in the face of life's uh, experiences, but there was one more thing that Jesus knew, and that was the mind. And we must know the mind. Jesus closed his suppertime lesson with a simple sentence. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus knew the mind of God. He knew that the mind of God is the mind of love, and therefore it expresses itself in mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. Grace, grace, grace. 
kindness. These are the words. Jesus knows that if we focus on this truth, we'll be blessed. He knows that if as his disciples we copy him, we follow him, we walk where he walked, we, we dine with sinful kind of people like he died with sinful kind of folks, if, if we do all of those kinds of things that we will be blessed. We will be blessed in the doing of them. That's kingdom life together. You think it's hard doing it with one another? Look at the world we got to serve. <laughs> but what a joyful prospect. Because we, all have, we, we have all the power we need to do it. The more we give up self to serve others, the more we understand the cross. And the more we understand the cross, the more we grasp what is the mind of God. Think about how much time. This is a hard kind of a thing to ask you. But God asked me to do it first, so now I'm going to share the joy with you. Think how much time you spend trying to get the world to recognize you. Me. I'm special. I matter. Did you remember this about me? Did you remember that? Did you catch that? We, I mean, we even do it in conversation. The other person's talking. We're thinking about what great rejoinder we're going to come back with. We spend so much time trying to get the world to notice us so that we'll be happy and satisfied in life when the truth of the matter is that true joy, true happiness comes in knowing God's mind and the fact, listen to this, please, beloved, listen, the truth, not just the fact, but the truth that you, each and every one of you and I, we are on God's mind every moment. Every single moment God is thinking about you. Can I pick on you, Lillian? He's thinking about Lillian. He's thinking about Brian. I didn't ask him notice because we work together and he'll let me beg for forgiveness tomorrow. But go up and down the pews, name every one of our names. And those at home, you are on God's mind. You don't need to be noticed any better than that. This is what... Jesus wants us to realize. And we are to have that mind among us. The disciples struggled to understand humility. Peter struggled probably more than others. Jesus said, you gotta, your mind is not corresponding to the Father's mind. You've got to get it straight. Judas' mind was so influenced by the world he never got it until it was really too late. And when he changed his mind and tried to get back the right way, uh, uh, the, the chief priest said, nah, it's your problem. Mrs. Zebedee, remember her? Mother of James and John? In fact, the three of them, they didn't have the mind of God. Their mind was set on, hey, can we sit it right and left? Can we be something special? We used to sing it with youth group all the time. James 4.10 Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up higher and higher and he will lift you up. We just sing scripture together. And we need to sing that song. Humble ourselves before the Lord. 
Jesus humbled himself before his disciples, and then he said to them, it's a little later in John's gospel, but he said, if you love me, if you love me, beloved, we have to want the mind of Christ, and in order to even have that desire, then we have to let Jesus serve us. Jesus said, if, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You've got to first receive from me before anything else can happen. We have to know that God has loved us before we can love. We share in Christ's mind and God's mind only as Christ cleanses us by that inworking of the Holy Spirit. And it's that cleansing that allows us to see, wow, this moment is significant. I was on the phone this past week, and I ended up being what I thought would be a 10-minute conversation turned into, um, I, I am having a midlife spiritual um, uh, moment here, and two hours later. And the person was so apologetic and said, I know you've got so many things to do. I said, we have just been on sacred ground that has eternal consequences for where you go from here. I could still be talking to him because it matters that much. God's mind will let us know the moment. God's mind will open us up to see and know the master. God's mind will allow us to begin to move in the same manner that Christ moved which was actually less this way because he rarely avoided anything and it was more this way, stooping down. And hasn't it been a while since anyone has said, will you wash my feet? And yet this past week, dozens of people came to you and in one way or the other, they were hoping, without even knowing it, that you would wash their feet. As you reached out to somebody grieving the loss of a loved one, as you reached out and shared a meal or just sent a note or gave a call or shot a text to, to, to that person facing yet one more day of chemo. As you celebrated a birthday, an anniversary, a birth of a baby, an announcement of an engagement, you were washing feet. As you went out of your way to do for others. We show God's mind of serving love. Don't you see when we serve, feed our parents in the same way they once fed us. Willing to listen to their garbled speech late in life the same way they listen to our garbled toddler speech. Be humble as Christ is humble. It's not about what this world does for us but it's about who Christ has made us and therefore who we can be for this world. Peter, who did get it, wrote in his first letter, humble yourselves therefore under God's almighty hands and he will lift you up. And I say to you, beloved, that you should also desire to be humbled under God's almighty hands. And you will rejoice as you see him lift you up. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
Go in the grace of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank uh-huh.